0: Y'all, welcome back to another episode of Well Lit Paths. In Psalm 29, we're going to weather a storm together. But first, how was your week? So, cooler temps are hopefully here to stay and brought some rain with them. Uh, I do love a good thunderstorm. Uh, the lightning dancing across the sky, the raindrops drumming on the roof as God blesses us with much needed rain after this dry year that we've had. I've actually begun uh, listening to rain and thunderstorm sounds as I go through and study each one of these psalms. Uh, it has a calming effect on me and seems to allow me to like hone my focus and block out everything else that's going on around me. Uh, I find uh, a good deal of comfort in the rain And the thunder it's funny how in our spiritual life we always equate a storm with a trial or a trouble that we're going through yet so much of God's power and might can be seen in the clashing of the clouds and the strike of electricity it reminds me that God controls the storm even if it is a trial even if it is a time that I'm having to get through he's in control of the wind and the rain They're testaments to his power because he is more powerful still. Here in Psalm 29, David praises God in a storm. He sees the majesty and might of the creator in the tempest, and it causes him to pen praise to the same. The descriptive poetry in this psalm is a statement to David's enamor with the God who crafted him and knew him while he was yet in the womb. Psalm 29, beginning in verse 1. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest, and in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The voice, the Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people, the Lord will bless his people with peace. David's so in awe of how God is moving in this storm he bears witness to that he calls upon the mighty in heaven to give all glory and credit for all strength to God. The mighty here in reference, it's an archaic term, meaning sons, as in sons of God. Uh, this is the same type of phrasing used in other passages in the Bible when describing angels. They're not the same. Angels aren't the same children that we are, but they are God's nonetheless. And David doesn't seem to have, or at least he doesn't feel he has adequate words to describe the awesomeness of our God in this moment. So he calls for some help and asks the host of heaven to join in his praise, to help him give God the glory that he's due. To worship him in beauty of his holiness. How set apart he is. How above all else he is. Do we ever feel like our words just aren't enough? When we call out to him in praise, when we lift our voice in song to praise him, doesn't it seem sometimes like it's just a really meager offering. You know, as a songwriter, I find myself constantly rethinking a lyric, trying to find better descriptors of uh, the wonder of the cross and the Savior who died there for me. To ascribe the holiness our God deserves for his blessings and grace and mercy that he just constantly pours out in my life. But our words just don't seem enough. You know, Revelation speaks of a song that we'll all sing in heaven once we're there together. It'll be a new song, and only parts of it have been revealed to us. And I believe that that song will be the first time that we will ever be able to express with true efficiency the glory that God and His Son deserve. And we'll do so with heavenly tongues And a song that God had written Himself. So David asked the angels for help as he starts to praise our God. And today we can call on the Holy Spirit to help us, to help as we lift up praise to our Lord and Savior. Have we ever tapped into that help? Uh, We do talk so often about preparing our hearts to hear the word preached. How often do we come into the sanctuary for congregational worship and ask the Holy Spirit to set our hearts in motion to offer praise to our maker and our deliverer? he rules and reigns in our lives. And as David moves from telling the angels that they should be praising with us, he begins to expound upon the great and mighty works of God in the storm. As the waves crash on the shore and the swells rise and fall on the deep, David hears the voice of God. With every crash, David hears God's voice shouting in triumph. It is good, God said. This, his evaluation of the creation. Again, it is good. He's pleased with what he's set in motion. What wave can crash that's not pushed by his hand? It is good. David hears over and over again in the crashing of the waves. We look at the waves and the storms of our lives and we feel intimidated We feel inadequate. We feel small. Should we instead hear, as David did, the voice of God on the waters? With every crash of the waves on our boat, should we not hear God's voice saying to us, I've got you. This is just a storm. So often as the disciples, we look around and try to find our God as if to wake him up, shake him awake and ask him, don't you care that I'm struggling here? We want to yell in frustration, I'm drowning. What if instead we were captured by the rhythm of the crashing waves and in that rhythm we heard only, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. mine." The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. Why do we tend to hear the crash and not the voice? And as lightning rips the sky and the waves crash, we hear the thunder. But David says again, this is God. Showing his omnipotence, putting on display his power with every clap of thunder. It's his voice dancing on the waves saying, I'm in control. Glorify me in this storm. I'll receive glory in the tempest. Well, we hear thunder and we jump. We look around and we cover our ears as the lightning strikes again and the sky rips open with another resounding crash of thunder. This is God in control. This is God over every element. Peter was at once impressed when he saw Jesus walking on the water. He was awed by the fact that the Son of God had so much power that he walked on the stormy waves as if they were dry, even land. And he was so moved by this display of power that he asked to walk out on the sea with Jesus. Sure, Peter saw the waves. Sure, Peter saw the lightning and heard the thunder. Yet the voice of Christ danced over the water to them, rose above the thunder. In that moment, his voice was the crash of the waves and the thunder because it drowned them out. Peter wasn't afraid of the storm because the Lord of the storm was out in the midst of his creation. He, like David, heard the power in that voice, recognized the majesty of Jehovah God in their midst. And he may as well have said to Jesus, Master of the Sea, whose power set the storm in motion for this time to be had and known with you, make me a part of this moment. Let me be the storm with you. And he stepped out. Trusting all control to the one who controlled every molecule of the sea, of the clouds, and the rain. Giving himself over to the power of the voice of Christ that told him to come to him. Where did Peter falter? He took his eyes off of the creator of the storm and focused on the creation in the storm off of the one who commanded the wind and the waves and onto the awesome power of what he commanded. And isn't that when we falter? We're with Christ in the storm, amazed at his power to command every situation, but then we look at how powerful the situation itself is and forget that the situation only even exists in his power. I need to tell myself, we need to tell ourselves, take your focus off the storm and look at the one who's mastered the storm. The one who can calm it in an instant but gets glory in the midst of it. Maybe if we could get our eyes on how awesome he is to guide us in the storm, to comfort us in the storm, to put his power on display in the storm, we would see the storm as another opportunity for God to get the glory in our lives. As David watches the storm and sees God in every facet of it, he must have seen a cedar tree in the distance swaying with one of the cracks of thunder. And if the power of God can break what we may perceive as a strong obstacle in our lives, what else can it break? David says it not only breaks the little cedars that I can see here, but the cedars of Lebanon, which are much stronger than these, God can break those with the power of his voice too. We underestimate God. I know I do. How many times have we said or thought, wow, look at how God was able to overcome that hardship for me. Like like he was barely able to do it. Well, David flips it the other way. David said, I see God so powerful in how he can break what I can see. I know he can break things that are stronger than that, that I can't see. And what a faith to grab hold of. Instead of me thinking, well, God handled that, but I can't take this to him. It's too much. Or, Maybe we forget every time we hit another trial that seems stronger than the one we've gone through before about the trial that God brought us through the last time. David doesn't look at God's power in comparison to what he saw and let it cast doubt in his mind. Instead, David witnessed God's power and took on faith that God was able of so much more. Christian, for you and me, God is capable of so much more. He doesn't just split the mightiest trees of our troubles in half. He makes them move according to his will. David says, The awesome power of the storm God moves in made the trees on the mountains dance like a calf. Have you ever been in a storm and seen like enormous trees swaying in the power of the wind and the rain or or been in a forest during a thunderstorm and heard like the old mature trees creaking and groaning as they bent and swayed to the ebb and flow of the storm. You know, the trees in our life may seem immovable and God may have broken some trees for you. He may have shown you that the obstacle in your life had no power over you. But maybe, just maybe, the way he shows you his power is by making the problem seem less sturdy than it is. I hear you thought this problem was massive and it just couldn't be uprooted and moved out of your life. But God shows you its weakness before him as it begins to sway a little. And as you look around the things that shouldn't move, the trees of trouble in your life, the mountains in your life. Lebanon and Syrian were mountainous regions. Uh, They were heavily wooded mountainous regions in David's time. Uh, The pagan countries surrounding Israel believed that these regions were the homes to their gods. God's thunderings shook these same mountains. He's more powerful than the idols we place in our lives. He'll shake them to their core until we give those aspects of our lives to him. He wants to be the Lord of everything in our lives, not just our troubles. And how these mountains with their coves and clearings, speak of how we try to carve out little areas of our lives to hold on to these little idols just a little bit longer. But God is shaking the mountains. They're mountains that we may have put there. They may be mountains of trials of our own making. And he's shaking them, trying to get our attention the Lord of all things. David says that the voice of God divideth the flames of fire. This was a direct attestation that God was more powerful than the gods worshipped in those mountains. Gods like Molech and Baal. Both gods required human sacrifices in some form or the other, and often this was achieved through fire. David claims the victory of God over the fire. And while he very likely was speaking of how the lightning fractures across the sky for Jewish worship, this was the God of the storm more powerful than the gods that required sacrifices of children and their morality. God divided the fire as a way of rescue and salvation from those evil pagan cults, granting life to those that followed him and that life more abundantly. They weren't to be enslaved by this pagan religion, but instead find truth and redemption in the God that breaks the cedars and shakes the mountains that he had created. What truth we can find here. As we follow after things our flesh may desire, God tells us we can be free from those things. As we sacrifice our conscience and things that we don't want to give to the things that we think we can find pleasure and gain in, God says, "You don't have to give pieces of yourself to these things and lose yourself in them. Instead, give your entire self to me and find your true purpose." And that means I don't have to be bound by my past. I don't have to be bound by old idols I've set up in my life that I can't seem to take down myself. If I just give those parts of my life to God, he'll topple those idols for me. Just as the statue of Dagon fell before the Ark of the Covenant in the Philistine town of Ashdod, our idols will also fall before an almighty God if we give up our will to his. And I love here how David moves to the wilderness that's out past Kadesh, the wilderness of wandering for the Israelites, the wilderness from which they could see the promised land continually in their 40 years of wandering during first Moses's and then Joshua's time, but that they couldn't enter. This portion of the psalm is certainly a reminder for Israel that God can shake up the wilderness of their lives if they would just trust him. When he makes a way for us to move, just move. Israel had arrived. They were at the border of the promised land. Scouts were sent in and the report came back. Nope, we're going to die if we go in there. They're huge, and they're mean, and they will eat us for breakfast. No promise is worth getting slaughtered for. And, I mean, what kind of promise is that? Now, two didn't say that, but that's what the majority of the scouts said. And it's easy for us to sit back and say, Oh, Israel, that was so dumb. Well, what about when the Lord calls us to minister in the church for him? What about when he calls us to teach? What about when he calls us to share his word, the gospel, with others? Well, you don't understand. The giants are too big. I could never be in a ministry at the church. I'm not good at that sort of thing. I don't have the talent for that sort of thing. I wouldn't know how to begin to do that sort of thing. I I couldn't share the gospel with somebody. I don't know how to find the words, how I would present that. Well, my counter to all of that would be Hebrews 13-21 where the Bible says that God will make us perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Making us perfect in every good work means that he will equip us to do the work, enable us to do the work to which he has called us. And that verse applies to every single argument we could have. Yet, we see the obstacle, the fear, the anxiety, even, and we say, well, we can't do that. So we place ourselves in this holding pattern outside of the will of God. Yet, God's will is visible to us, it's just outside of our reach. God wants to shake you out of that desert the same way He wanted to keep Israel out of theirs. He wants you to believe that He can the first time, the way He wanted Israel to believe that He could the first time. There's no obstacle in our path that He can't overcome, there's no desert He can't help us cross, and there's no victory he can't enable us to realize because the victory is still his. And sure, we can't be victors in our own strength. Israel knew that too. Their mistake was to know that and then lean on their own strength instead of knowing that and relying on God's strength. No, no, I can't handle everything that gets thrown at me. I can't. No, I can't overcome every trial in my life. The desert is vast. The mountains are high. The trees are a forest and the water is deep. And the waves are roaring. The wind is howling. But God's voice thunders above it all because he is the Lord of it all. He is the master of my troubles in that he has victory over them already. I can't handle them. He can. In his might, he can set things in motion that seem unnatural, that seem out of place, that seem out of normal time. David references that God's power is so awesome that it caused deer to, get birth, to give birth because they were frightened to the point that it scared the baby deer right out of them. Ahead of schedule, by nature's timing, maybe in that storm, but right on schedule with God's timing. And he writes that God discovers or exposes the secrets of the forest in his might. He makes the whole earth his temple, and everything proclaims his glory. Well, wow, I, I can't believe that God worked that way. Or maybe we say, I would have never thought that God could be in this situation. Do you think the parents of the blind man who was born blind, or that the blind man himself would have ever imagined that he was blind so God could get the glory. It felt unnatural. He shouldn't have been born blind. It felt unfair. Why would God do this? And the whole time, that man's entire life, God had a secret. And when God finally exposed the secret it felt like the most natural thing. The disciples asked, Lord, which one was wrong, him or his, him or his parents? What, what, what sin was it? And Christ answered, you're missing the point. This is for my glory. I was blind. Now I see and the whole earth cries with the blind man, it does feel unnatural. It doesn't feel right. God should get the glory in all things. And as God moves in the storm, the planet cries out in his temple, glory, glory, glory to the creator. And finally, David can't help but reach back even further. Just as God is moving in the storm that he saw before him then, there was another storm, the very first of its kind, that God had moved in before. As the torrents of the great flood fell, they had a mighty purpose. Cleansing justice was raining down from heaven with every drop that fell. The crashing of thunder that had never been heard before, the waves that collided with everything in their path, the waters of the deep rising up and catastrophically changing the landscape until no life remained. But God, the Lord of the storm, the King on his throne, had made a way. Salvation was provided to a family that found favor in his sight. This is the message of the Psalm. The God that is mighty to crash and thunder, the God that can flatten forests and cause mountains to move, the God that's greater than every idol we erect in our lives, the God that wants to shake us out of our wilderness of doubt, this same God made a way in all of his tender mercies to preserve us, to draw us close to him. He wants us to trust him in the storm. He wants us to see him as David did in the tempest, When the thunder crashes, he wants us to hear his voice and not be afraid, but be in thankful awe that this God is the same God who loves us. So much that he sent his son to die for us. So that we didn't have to rely on our own strength, our own works. He wants us to get swept away in his storm, in his power, instead of swept up and defeated by the storms we perceive in our life. He wants us to see his glory in all things and for us to give him glory in all things. We have to know him first. We can't keep complaining about not being rescued when he's 50 feet away from us walking on the water, but we're not looking at him. Through all the tumult David witnessed in the storm, he knew that this was the God who gave him strength when he had none. The God of all of what may have looked like the chaos of the storm was actually orchestrating every piece of it in his power. And this same God was the only God that could and can still today grant peace. What storms are you facing? Are we missing God in the storm? Are we looking at the storm and assuming that it has power when in fact it's our God who has the power in it? Lean on him, trust in him, and see the beauty in the storm. And when you're in a storm, call on the angels to give him glory Give him some glory yourself, and then sit back and marvel as you watch him work. In watching him work, I'll guarantee you'll find the peace you're looking for. Hey, thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week, and we'll walk just a little further. If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.